Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Hey everyone, this is Americans Watching the Footy. This is episode 47. This is our round 19 preview. 47 and 19 are both prime numbers. However, zero is not, but it's not really a number. But zero is the number of chairs this little house in College Grove, Oregon has, which my father and I are staying. I am Benjamin Castle coming to you from Lane County. I am Ethan Castle coming to you from South San Francisco, California. And I endeavor to be watching this round much more closely because I'll be able to watch more of it live, if you recall. Last round, as we discussed in our previous episode, our round 18 recap, a lot of the best action unfolded as I was driving up to Oregon. I will be watching this one from my same spot as usual, basically, at home, although I'll be like a few feet away from my usual spot. I like to set up in bed to watch some of the games. You know, kind of a good way to end the night. And my mattress is now not in the same place as it was because my bed frame gave out after 24 years of service. I had said a few times when we were recording in there that your bed frame was creaking and making some noise. And I have been proven more than correct. But I do want to thank it for the 24 years of service, whereas Brad's wife was fired from Cracker Barrel after 11 years of service. We're going to get into our round 19 preview pretty quickly. Truth be told, I'm pretty tired. I'm sure you are as well. Not to mention the challenge of recording remotely versus recording in person. But before we do that, once again, we do have some footy news to get to. So, Benjamin, take it away. This news emerged before the round 18 recap, but from a time standpoint, and also just because it feels more fitting to talk about this in a preview when it comes to questions of selection, the AFL has dropped its vaccination mandate for men's and women's players alike. There were a couple of players for whom that was an issue before this season. I can remember three, in fact. One of them, Jack Darling, ended up getting the jab and was able to play, but two others did not. And as a result, they have not played this season. They were on inactive lists initially. And then Liam Jones of Carlton retired, but now he seems keen on re-entering. So we're not sure what sort of compensation may lie there. Cam Ellis Yeoman was on the Brisbane Lions list, but also was inactive for the same reason. Interesting timing to do this while there is a substantial COVID surge in Australia. Not exactly sure what to make of that. I don't know how to interpret this other than that it's surprising that the AFL reversed course so quickly when you consider how adamant they were about this. Like the only place that I can think of that was more adamant was the Canadian government, at least within the English speaking world. I'm sure the South Korean government at least was quite strict as well. I'm sure government in Taiwan was, but within English-speaking nations and nations that we have a lot of exposure to from a media standpoint, none of them were anywhere near as adamant as Australia, and the AFL was right in line with that, and now all of a sudden, it's like, nope. So that could have something to do with, 
you know, versions of it going around that are A, less severe, but B, easier to spread because of mutations. Ultimately, I'm not a scientist, but just trying to throw out various hypotheses here and make whatever conclusions you want. I just thought it was noteworthy enough because we had players basically retire because of said vaccination requirement. And now all of a sudden, again, changed course. Goalposts have moved. So I don't really know how to interpret that. But once again, just putting it out there for you to digest. Really, this is more like a taking down of goalposts in a lot of respects. One thing's for sure, I don't see those goalposts getting moved back up because that would become even more of a PR disaster and a player relations disaster as well as public. I don't really have a great transition onto the nine games for this round, but looking at them, I think we can at least do what we usually do and give you a reason to watch each of these games. As if you needed one for most of these, because most of them, the intrigue is right there with the finals implications. But even for the ones that aren't, I think I can find something compelling. So let's get it going. Starting off, remember, Thursday night footy's done for the year, so we're going to be talking about Friday night footy. This week's edition, between Richmond and Fremantle, where... I'm sure you had to drag them there kicking and screaming, but the Tigers are not playing at the MCG for once. They are at Marvel Stadium. Well, they were at Marvel Stadium last round as the road team, and that did not fare well, so I imagine that they are going kicking and screaming this time. The Tigers and Dockers will bounce at the typical 7.50 p.m. time in Melbourne. That'll be 5.50 p.m. for Western viewers. In the U.S., that's 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific, and lucky us, we can watch that on Fox Sports 2, and that's likely how I'll be watching here in Oregon. Richmond are 9-8. and eight. They hold on to 8th by percentage alone after kicking their game against North away. Fremantle are in 4th at 12-5. and five. These teams met just once last year, round 20 at Optus Stadium, where the Dockers held on late for a low-scoring four-point win. In that game, the teams combined to kick 13 goals to 28 behinds. It was a game that put the Dockers into the top eight, though they ended up missing out on the finals, and it put a real dent into Richmond's finals hopes. I remember watching the end of this game, at the very least, from my hotel in St. Louis. And I just remember being super entertained. It was a really good game. Not the cleanest game, considering how poorly those teams kicked in this one, but it was a good game. Typical Frio from last year in that sense, I guess, with their troubles with kicking accuracy. That did plague them in the early rounds this year, but the volume of their chances made up for that. And they've been more accurate since that early portion of the season. I'd say really since maybe mid to late April, they've been much better in that regard. It will be a rainy weekend in Perth, but fortunately for the Dockers, they're not playing there. This game, once again, is under the roof, where conditions should not be a factor, and hopefully we'll get a good, clean game. Kicking woes have been an issue for Richmond really for five straight quarters now, and it's put them into this spot where they're in eighth, only holding on to the last finals berth as of now by percentage. And while they may have some reinforcements coming this week, they'll still be missing a couple of big pieces. Tom Lynch and Dustin Martin will both be out with their hamstring injuries, which, as we mentioned with Dustin Martin, it's good to be aware of your hamstrings. It's good to be aware of all parts of your body. 
I don't know if the show Impractical Jokers is ever available in Australia, but for our Australian audiences, highly recommend it. One of the challenges on the show, the four, I guess you could call them contestants, even though it's the same ones every episode, the four guys basically had to pitch a fake book title to a focus group and get the focus group to say, yes, I would read your book. And one of those books was called How I Discovered My Body. There was also The Bible, too, and a couple other funny ones. But I think How I Discovered My Body would probably include something about hamstring awareness. We also don't know yet if Josh Gibkiss will be good to go. He got subbed out at the end of the third quarter against North with shoulder issues. But it sounds like Ivan Soldo should be back from his broken thumb. How the Tigers choose to slide pieces around becomes really interesting with Soldo being one of the more versatile guys they have. And they haven't had as much success with the plug-and-play type deal as of late. Let them down against North in particular, so maybe we'll see a bit more of a fixed structure, at least at the start of things for Damian Hardwick and company. If there's one player I say, definitely let them break through. I mean, you expect it for Daniel Rioli. You should begin to expect that for Hugo Ralph Smith as well. He's an all-Australian at halfback in all likelihood. I don't see him having two down games in a row, even against tough competition that is willing to exploit the wing offensively themselves. As for the Dockers injury situation, Alex Pierce is likely to return after two weeks on the sidelines. He just missed out on round 17 after injuring his cap in warm-ups and also didn't suit up for last round's game against the Swans, and you can only begin to wonder what kind of impact he could have had had he been in then. Another big out for Fremantle, which honestly we should have expected given what we saw last week, and quite literally saw, Rory Lobb has a shoulder injury and is going to be out for this game. A big loss there that may neutralize the impact of Tom Lynch's out for Richmond. We saw him get banged up pretty early before kicking a goal. Understandable now, thinking back to it, that he's out. Travis Collier also omitted in favor of Liam Henry getting another shot in the 22. There is also a chance that Nathan O'Driscoll could play in the waffle again this week after having played in his first game since his foot injury last week. Speaking of Fremantle wingers, as impressive as he was in his stint in the AFL thus far, it's hard to find much room for him at this point. And at this point, I just don't think you can take Bailey Banfield out of that 22, so... One way or another, regardless of who gets that role, the depth on this Fremantle side has been clear all year, and it's amazing that they have to have these conversations. We can only begin to wonder what player movement for them is going to be like once this season is over, because a lot of those players who are sitting as medical subs, as unused emergencies, could definitely be worthy of opportunities elsewhere, thinking of guys like Lloyd Meek. The Tigers are favored by a point and a half for this game, but I really like this matchup for the Dockers if Richmond continues to be as sloppy as they've been. A team that puts on pressure like Fremantle does is built to A, force mistakes, and B, capitalize on them. Now, Richmond have been able to punish somewhat. They're decent counterattacking themselves, but no one has been on Fremantle's level in that regard all year. The question is, what does Richmond take and what do all teams take from what the Sydney Swans managed last week with how they chipped and slowly ate into Fremantle's defensive ground to neutralize and get ahead of that full court press? 
Is that something that Richmond are able to do? And I think they have the kicking talent on the back lines, certainly to do that. And then the chess match would move back to Justin Longmere. How do you react to that? These are two skilled coaches. These are two skilled teams. And whoever has the better scheme should emerge victorious. I still think both teams are going to have good schemes. I just don't know if Richmond will stick to it because the last couple of weeks they've been so sloppy. It's getting to the point where until I see otherwise, it would be fair to expect it from them. Maybe not in the dramatic degree that we saw at the last two rounds, but enough that it would affect a close game, especially against a team that capitalizes on opposing mistakes really well. If the Tigers do go for that sort of slower approach like Sydney did, it really means you've got to have guys positioned in the right spots to create those numbers advantages. Because I remember when the Dockers came to Geelong and the Cats, you know, regardless of the pace they played at, were in a spot where they were just struggling to create a clean kick out of their own end to someone in an opportune position. And that was one of those things where it was kind of like, okay, slowing it down here might prevent us from like a sloppy open play turnover. But either we're going to be backed into our own end for a while or they're going to intercept one of these. And even if it's at a slower pace, that'll still generate an advantage for them. If Richmond are sloppy, and again, it's going to be damn hard for them to win this game if they are sloppy. But if Richmond are sloppy, maybe just making this game a fast-paced mess at breakneck speed would actually be in their favor to the point where you just accept, all right, we're probably going to turn it over now and then. Let's just create as high of a volume of chances as possible then. In a lower scoring game, a single turnover is magnified a lot more. In a more high event game, one or two of those can kind of get lost in the margins. On to another Saturday quintet. The first game's beginning at 1.45 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Let's focus on the Tasmanian tussle first, and who knows, this could be the last Tasmanian tussle with the disputes and negotiation going on in terms of a potential 19th team in Tasmania, which I would love to see. But North Melbourne and Hawthorne will take things to Bloodstone Arena just outside Hobart. For American viewers, that will be 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 22nd, and it can be viewed on Fox Soccer Plus in addition to Watch AFL. Interestingly, this will be Hawthorne's first time playing a home-and-away match at Bloodstone Arena. Well, maybe it's not like Hawthorne and North are usually matched up against each other twice in a year. They were last year, they are again this year. But I guess usually the one that goes to Tasmania has been the one that would be the Hawks' home game if they do end up playing a game out there. These teams met at the MCG in round one, a game that the Hawks won by 20. It wasn't until a week later that we started to see, okay... Something's going on here with Hawthorne because it was the following week when they throttled Port Adelaide. Hawthorne ran into a decent amount of trouble the past couple months, but have won two in a row heading into this one, first against the Crows and then last week against the Eagles. They are now at 6-11 and are in 13th. North picked up their second win last week in that aforementioned four-point shocker against Richmond. However, they remain in dead last on percentage. That said, now there will be something of a wooden spoon race now that the bottom two teams are tied on points. And what a race it will be. 
and the injuries on both sides will certainly impact that race. For North Melbourne, Nick Larkey is doubtful after injuring his heel last week. Aaron Hall on the American football injury slider scale, questionable. After injuring his quad, he's had a tough go with things between that and a hamstring issue that kept him out for a number of weeks. For the Hawks, we now know officially that both Sam Frost and Chad Wingard are done for the year. I really like Frost defensively this year, so that's definitely a pretty significant setback, although he's been out for a while. Now we just know it is going to be for the rest of the year instead of maybe a return, you know, around rounds 22 or 23, something like that. It sounds like Jack Gunston should be back. Judging by what I read from Sam Mitchell, he's looking at this more... It's like Jack will tell him either I'm ready to go or I need time to kind of ramp back up. It's great that he's trusting his players like that and someone with the track record and the skill that Gunston has will know what it's right for himself to play. To borrow something I heard a few times this year when I was doing some freelance MLB coverage, Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, would say pretty frequently when asked about off days and rest schedules for some of his guys, you know, these guys know their bodies better than anybody else. And if you can kind of give them that sort of leeway and that sort of benefit of the doubt, that's a good thing. And I think it's something that you see more with younger coaches in general. And obviously Mitchell is on the younger side. The Hawks are also on the favorite side of the spread. See how I transitioned there? Pretty good. Uh, I mean, I've heard better, but I've also heard much worse. Hawthorne favored by 19 and a half for this game. I don't think after the performances the last two weeks that North will be able to replicate that and keep this game that close. I hope they keep it compelling. But I said in our round 18 recap, if they just really go out there and make a good push in two of their remaining five games, then they'll have done enough. That would be four out of their last seven games with a coaching change between two of those. Four out of seven games where they showed some level of competence, some level of fight. And if there's a stinker, okay, it'll be good to see how Lee Adams responds if that situation arises. And it'll be good to see where in terms of the age group for the players, they'll be able to respond the most. We've really liked what Paul Curtis has done these past couple weeks. Might another younger player lift with him? Will we start to see Jason Horde Francis reemerge as well? Could Callum Coleman Jones continue his better play? Last week, he definitely made the most of being that second Ruckman being forward a little bit at times, taking advantage of Tristan Jerry's absence to be up there with Todd Goldstein. Unfortunately, Hawks defender and accelerator Chankwuk Jack is going to be out nursing a knee injury. Look forward to seeing the impact he would have going out of 50 and starting to team that way. A very different look back there in terms of our other Saturday matinee kicking off at the exact same time will be at the SCG where the Swans host the Crows for their only meeting of the season. Once again, 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States, 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast, 1.45 p.m. local bounce on Saturday. If you're in South Australia, though, and considering the Crows are involved in this game, there's a good chance a lot of the people interested in this one are in South Australia, in which case... The opening bounce is set for 115. Actually saw on Twitter a funny use of the she's a 10 meme to make fun of the time zone difference. She's a 10, but she lives in South Australia, so she's a 930. Yeah, that's good. Hey, are you going to apologize? Because that meme is very offensive to women. Yes, I'm very sorry for using that format. 
I'm also sorry for trying to drop my knees and get high contact free kicks that way. And that also has been a topic of discussion. The league has come down and said, if you do that, then you're going to get punished for it. And I just see that as another umpiring nightmare. I know that Michael Walters was punished for it in the past, but those fast in the moment things are never going to go well. And it's just going to add to the confusion. If changes like that are to be made, they should be made during the offseason rather than coming down the home stretch of the home and away campaign. The stuff about ducking in to earn those free kicks for a high tackle tend to be centered around Ginevan with the side of Joel Selwood. But it seems like all of a sudden Ginevan's not getting a whistle for it at all, but other players in the same game will. I don't know how much of that is psychological, how much of that is just he does it more. But he's not the focus here, and in fact, he doesn't even play on Saturday. So back to the Swans of the Crows. This game can be viewed on Fox Soccer Plus in the U.S. in addition to Watch AFL. The Swans, with a big win at Fremantle last week, one of the few true away games for them, considering the base they still have in South Melbourne, that win put them up into 6th at 11-6, and six, and that's a big change between 6th and 7th because that puts you in position to host your elimination final, and the SCG has a substantial home oval advantage. The Crows are at 5-12 and 12 in 16th after playing Collingwood close the entire game last round. When these teams last met, it was nearly two seasons ago at this point. It was round two in 2021, also at the SCG. It was Buddy Franklin's first action since 2019. He kicked three goals to help the Swans to a 33-point win, although Taylor Walker doubled that and got six in a losing effort. It was a game that was close until the fourth quarter, I recall. Lineup-wise for the Swans, probably no changes as of now. The only real injury news to report of there is that Colin O'Reardon is still a ways from returning. He has a hip injury that, while we hear about a lot of guys making faster recoveries than expected, his does not seem to be heading in that direction. And with the success they had last week, what's the point in changing anything, even if it means Logan McDonald is on the outside looking in, strangely enough? But if Joel Lombardi is able to deliver again, Cindy's going to have to figure out how to balance having both of them in the lineup. As for the Crows, Josh Rochelle is expected to miss one more week recovering from his hip injury. It's something that had been bothering him for much of the season, but they finally started giving him some time off for it in recent weeks. They didn't end up winning last week, but I like the spirit and structure Adelaide used. They weren't throwing out hospital handballs every five seconds. If they play with that level of focus and determination, as much as I hate describing intangibles like that, I think it's especially important in this spot because those things matter when you're a team that's completely out of the race. And I think if in their final five games we get three good competitive efforts from the Crows, I'll be pretty satisfied. I'm still really for the fact that a near bottom of the latter side played Collingwood so close again, and this time they didn't fire their head coach. I know that plenty are still calling for Matthew Nix's head, and I can understand a down performance here, and I can also understand if that down performance could lead to those calls being renewed, even with the difficulties of playing in New South Wales. I don't expect much from the Crows. They haven't been able to do much outside of South Australia this season other than that win in Ballarat, and I don't have much optimism for them going to this one. More than anything, it's positivity about Sydney, who are favored by 33 and a half. 
They've had a whole bunch of players produce or help them with producing. Tom Papley wasn't accurate a couple weeks ago, got on the end of a couple goals last round. That's just kind of how they work. They adjust well in-game because that's what John Logmeyer does, and if one piece is down one week, they're likely back up the next. Last round, we had a real question as to whether or not the standalone game was the right choice. As it turned out, it totally was. It was at Geelong's expense, but this round, Geelong are in that standalone slot in the middle of the Saturday action. They will be taking the tough trip to Port Adelaide. That'll get underway at the Adelaide Oval 4.05 p.m. local time, so that's 4.35 p.m. for the eastern states of Australia. In the U.S., where it can be viewed on Fox Soccer Plus, it'll be 2.35 a.m. early Saturday the 23rd in the Eastern Time Zone, 11.35 p.m. on the 22nd Pacific Time. Port Adelaide sit at 8 and 9. They come in in 11th, and safe to say they're in just about a must-win spot, even if the cutoff for finals drops from 13 wins to 12, which it now very conceivably could. They've still got to walk a pretty fine line. Meanwhile... And I love saying this. The Cats are 13 and four. They're on an eight game winning streak and they are currently first place in the entire competition. All hail the July premiers. These teams have seen a lot of each other over the last couple of years, but this time the second meeting is scheduled in addition to the first. That first meeting, by the way, was a game the Cats won by 35 at home back in round 10. Pulled away with a big third quarter, capped off with a 55 meter barrel by Jeremy Cameron after the siren. It was one of his better goals, but he's done better since then. Speaking of tackling, Sam Powell Pepper has kind of been the guy that's taken all the weight on for Port Adelaide, dragging the team along with him as needed. I remember a few weeks back saying he needs to be more of a supplemental guy, but if he keeps playing like this, he can play up to that level. He's still, though, can't do it all by himself, and he's going to need help from within one way or another. It's great to see one of the smaller players on the team be so willing to get into those scraps and be one of the first guys down on the ground tackling, getting the ball, but he needs some of the taller players to pick up their slack in that regard. We were thinking at first that Bryn Tickle may be back in for this one, but he's going to need at least another week, so Charlie Dixon will definitely be spending a lot of time in the ruck again and maybe less of a help to Powell Pepper's work elsewhere as a result. In terms of longer-term things for the power, Scott Lysette may have an infection in his shoulder now. He dislocated it, he was rehabbing, he played in the sandful last week, but now another issue has arisen. And I wouldn't be shocked if it cost him his season if it's found that he is infected there. As for the Cats, they won't have too many changes to make for this one. Jed Buse was sort of managed last week and then ended up getting used as the medical sub, something that doesn't surprise me. Chris Scott has said he will be in the lineup in a full capacity this week. Sam Manigola's spot is one that opens up because he's in concussion protocols. Remember, he got hurt on that big hit from Will Hayes. We thought initially that Brandon Parfit would be back into the 22, but he was not listed he may be the medical sub after finally being able to return from his broken hand. He was delayed by a week because he was in COVID protocols. Cats are favored for this one by nine and a half, and I'm kind of going to recycle what I said last week. Not out of superstition or anything, but this is a genuine opinion I have. Not little stition either. I'm not superstitious, but 
I'm I am a little stitious. But at some point, this streak is going to end. I'm still slightly concerned about peaking too early, but I love where this team is right now. If they were to lose this game, I hope it would be you know not a last second heartbreaker, but also. You want it to be close from a competitiveness standpoint and from a percentage standpoint, because right now they're ahead of the Demons for that top spot simply off percentage. If they do lose this game, so long as it's not in stupid fashion, wouldn't be the end of the world. Adelaide Oval's a tough place to play. The Power are a good team. Hopefully this is another good sort of finals-type challenge, although hopefully within finals, the Cats are only playing at the MCG. This late in the season, a loss can definitely remind teams of where they need to improve structurally, what players need to step up individually. So, no, a loss wouldn't be that bad, although the risk of falling outside the top two when you have a potential away trip for a qualifying final waiting in the wings, if that's the case, is a bit dangerous. So, you can't have it both ways. One of those is going to happen on the footy during games and also throughout the week whenever news occurs or whenever we just have a spare thought or two like how awesome Lockie Jones bullet is that was literally our first tweet from our account that is at Americans footy on Twitter I am personally at Benjamin HK01 on the same platform I am at Castle Media but the real star of the show is on Instagram and exclusively on Instagram with the username cat named Brian. Don't forget, you can support our show. There is a link in the episode description where you can do that. We talked about the Brisbane Lions a bit before the break in terms of being one of those teams that's right in there in the mix of jumping in the top two, especially if the Cats falter. Or maybe they could just have a ridiculous percent leap because that happens pretty often in the Q Clash as of late. And they are hosting Q-Clash 23 at the GABA at 7.10pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on the 23rd, the earlier of the two late window games. In the United States, it's a 5.10am Eastern start, 2.10am Pacific, and we can watch it on Fox Sports 2. A whole lot of late footy action on regular American channels this week. The Lions are in third place. They have the best percentage of the three 12-5 teams at 126%. That's a few above Fremantle and substantially above Collingwood. The Suns, meanwhile, have lost three of four, but the one win in that one was a dramatic one with their comeback from 40 down to beat Richmond after the siren. Make of that what you will, though, because the fact that they were down by that much could be pretty damning in itself. They are in 12th place at 8-9, and and if they are to make the finals, they are only a game out of 8th. However, they would definitely need a percentage boost. They're at 104.7. This game has been billed as the biggest Q clash yet. Frankly, this has lagged behind the other interstate rivalries outside of Victoria. 
With the Suns still in the finals hunt, I think you can add some intrigue to this game, although this is still a series that the Lions have dominated. They have a 16-6 overall lead heading into the 23rd Q Clash, and they've won seven in a row, including round six of this year when they put up 132 points in a 132-80 thrashing of the Suns at Metricon Stadium where we were just really disappointed with Gold Coast's defense and... This is a matchup that's just really favored the Lions scheme-wise, talent-wise, everywhere. The past couple games for the Suns have been defensive letdowns, so that's definitely a concern that we have going into this one again. Additionally, Jared Witz will have some tall and strong company in the center circle and at stoppages because Big O Oscar McInerney will be out of COVID protocols in time for this game. It's been a list crunch all year for the Lions. It was hard just to get Reese Matheson in there. We were probably going to say a lot about Kadeen Coleman and what we've liked about him, but he has a hamstring injury and will be out for this one. However, the Lions are regaining Daniel Rich, as well as Dane Zorko, Jared Berry, and Marcus Adams, in addition to Big O. Darcy Ford omitted, which we kind of expected with how well Dan McStay played last round. Harry Sharp and Akaya Cockatoo do get the short end of the stick as well. While most of the Suns' injuries have guys out for the remainder of the year, they do have a couple who could be nearing a return, perhaps even this week, with Malcolm Roses Jr. coming up ahead of schedule from his hamstring injury and Alex Davies close to a return from a knee problem. Also, Jai Farrer will be available for selection, and Jeremy Sharp makes a pretty compelling case to get in after putting up 27 disposals on the wing in the VFL. But if you put him on the wing, you'd throw him right into a matchup against Hugh McCluggage. But maybe in a backup role, that could work well. Otherwise, you're really throwing a kid into the fire. Well, Sharp is in, as is Darcy McPherson and Farrer, and also Elijah Hollins will be making his debut at last. Excited to see that. He's listed as an interchange player. Unfortunately, part of that is at the expense of Ace Oya, who has been omitted. Hopefully, the Pop One will get some time to sort things out in the VFL, maybe add something else to his game. Been excited looking at what he's already been able to bring to the team, and hopefully, he'll be a fuller member of the squad in 2023. A lot to look forward to in the near future for the Suns with just how many players have been out for them this year. They've had that horror run of ACL injuries. You had Ben King before the season. Then you had all those wingers go down. When Ben King said, stand by me, he didn't mean literally stand by me on the injury list. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! We'll see who can factor in right away next year, but between 2023 and 2024, Hopefully the Suns can crack the eight for the first time, because I don't see it this year. Whether or not the Suns win this game and face it, nobody expects them to win this game. I just want to see them compete defensively because so many Q clashes, we've seen the Lions just slice through them like it's nothing. So at least provide some resistance defensively. Whether or not you cover, Lions favored for this game by 22 and a half. You could probably convince me to go a little bit higher than that. I would probably just set this line a couple points higher. Nothing insane, but more like maybe 25 and a half. That seems like more of a matchup history bet than a current form bet. 
with how a couple weeks ago went for the Lions, but they did have a lot of their unit back up to speed against Greater Western Sydney, and that definitely will serve them well for this contest. The other game in that late window on Saturday is Grand is 2021 Grand Final Rematch Part 2. I still don't know whether it was right to open the season with another with a Grand Final Rematch. I say build up the hype to that for a few weeks, get the teams going in the new year before you throw them out there. Well, I think round 19 at this point, they'll have had plenty of time to figure out what they are this season compared to last. And also, because it's Saturday as opposed to Wednesday, the crowd numbers should be better too, though the crowd for that opening night wouldn't have fit at Marvel Stadium, where the Bulldogs and Demons will be doing battle. This one gets underway in the typical Saturday night primetime slot. That's 7.25 p.m. in the eastern states of Australia, east coast of the U.S., 5.25 in the morning, west coast, 2.25 in the morning, and this will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Good to see the league get on there because there are some TV packages that don't get FS2, but most people are able to at least get FS1. And this will be one of the rare times where both Fox 1 and Fox 2 are carrying live footy at the same time. Except the power will have already played. When they met to open the season, Melbourne won by 16, getting a whole lot more chances, but not necessarily converting on a lot of them. Kicking accuracy was a big concern for the Bulldogs at the start of the season. As of late, it's been more of a defensive struggle, with a couple key pieces remaining out. But last week against the Saints, you didn't really remember that Caleb Daniel wasn't out there because of how well they were covering things how well they were pushing back up the field until the fourth quarter. The Bulldogs are 3% out of the eight right now in ninth place at 9-8. Melbourne are 13-4. They're in second. It was ridiculous to think that they were going to go 22-0. You knew they were going to slip up somewhere. And most recently, it was against Geelong, though they bounced back this past week in Alice Springs to win by 14 over Port Adelaide. Once again, the Bulldogs will be missing some key defenders, namely Hayden Crozier, Caleb Daniel, and Taylor DeRay. But Lockie Hunter and Aaron Naughton will be out of COVID protocols, most likely. One obvious replacement is Jordan Sweet. He would quickly come out of the lineup. But who else? You know, Bailey Williams was one guy who was suggested, and that would be tough because as much as he struggled in that round 17 loss to the Swans, he looked pretty sharp last week. Melbourne will be regaining Harrison Petty out of COVID protocols. Additionally, Clayton Oliver, who had his 127-game Ironman streak snapped last week, is expected to return after having surgery on his broken thumb. Jake Lever should also be a go, despite his shoulder issue. Compared to the early part of the season, lately we've seen Melbourne be able to take some hits to their structure and still be able to bounce back from it okay. So even without those pieces, I would expect good things from them. It's amazing to look at the depth between Melbourne and Casey and wonder how they're going to be able to manage things when players are asking for their payday soon. And, you know, if you see something like a Luke Jackson trade happen, what can they parlay in order to further the crop that they already have or to make space for certain players? You may see Daniel Turner making his long-awaited return to the VFL after suffering a facial fracture in his AFL debut. However, Casey Demons did have a bye last week, so no immediate performance off which you can go in that regard. 
Last week, the Bulldogs showed that it was an important game. I think this is an important game for them, too. And if they don't play well in it, that would challenge my belief that they get up for the games they need to. However, they're operating currently as 10.5-point underdogs. You have to hand it to any team that's able to challenge Melbourne at this point. But as much as the Dogs were able to cover for the defensive outs last week against the Saints, I feel like Melbourne will be able to exploit the weaknesses that they have. They got a cerebral group all over the field. And you add to that the dynamism of guys like Kazi Pickett, fresh off a six-goal performance, and you could really make the Dogs pay for lacking in small defenders. We saw just one guy alone do that with Anthony Scott having to match up against Charlie Cameron when the Lions played the Dogs, and that did not go well for Scott. One of the reasons I think this is a matchup that favors the Demons is a lot of times the Bulldogs haven't been able to take advantage of one-on-one matchups and need to find success through team matchups. Melbourne, on the other hand, you know, they play such a team-based game. They can win one-on-one battles when needed, but they're able to kind of exceed the Bulldogs across the board by enough that I think the sort of game that the Bulldogs typically strive for won't work here. One point of success for the Dogs last week was having Buku Kamis as the third tall defender, and I could definitely see him being necessary between whichever Ruckman, whichever Ruckman takes the contest, also pushing forward, so potentially gone and Jackson up there, in addition to Ben Brown, but Brown has also had some wing time, so how they budget his time with someone like James Harms will be interesting there, and how much Kamis will be needed will also be a focal point. He did a good job last week, had six intercept possessions to his name. Question is, can he consistently do that? If Ben Brown keeps playing along the wing, could Thomas maybe come out and defend the wing a bit? I think you're just looking for the physical matchup there, and he's one of the guys who could probably handle Brown's physicality. Not something I've thought of yet, haven't seen much of his ability as a tagger. If he has that as well, you got a real talented young player on our hands. Speaking of talented and young, you know who else is pretty talented and still on the younger side is Charlie Kernow, whose Carlton Blues will open Sunday afternoon footy under the roof at Marvel Stadium as they host GWS. This one gets underway Saturday night in the U.S., 11.10 p.m. on the East Coast, 8.10 on the West Coast. And if you're in the eastern states in Australia, it'll be on Sunday at 1.10. We saw conflicting information on if this game would be on Fox Sports 2 or where it's going to be available for the American audiences that don't have Watch AFL. Once again, recommend getting Watch AFL, though we're not, you know, this isn't an official promotion or sponsorship. Wouldn't mind being one of their sponsors. They do a good job. The Blues are looking to bounce back from a 30-point defeat at the hands of Geelong. They currently sit in 7th at 11-6, one of two teams at that record, along with the Sydney Swans, but inferior on percentage. They're at 113.4, so considerably behind Sydney in that regard. The Greater Western Sydney Giants are 5-12. They're in 15th. They had a decent start against Brisbane and Canberra, but in no way could they keep it up in the second half. These teams met in round 9 at Giants Stadium, in Leon Cameron's final game at the helm, and the Giants played the Blues hard most of the way before Carlton emerged and won by 30. And you were just talking about Charlie Curnow being on the younger side. Unfortunately, his older brother, Ed, 
was re-injured in the VFL, and at this point, not sure if he'll be seeing the AFL Oval this year. Despite the negative Ed Kernow news, the injury front at Carlton is overall finally getting more positive. It sounds like Mitch McGovern looks like he'll be ready from his hamstring injury. We'll see if Jack Martin will be ready to go. He's going to have to pass fitness tests on his calf. Also, Will Setterfield made a pretty compelling case with a 40-disposal 8-mark performance in the VFL, so that's going to be another little thing to follow with Carlton is how do they manage some of the young guys, which the young guys end up contributing right now, which ones can end up perhaps getting traded down the road. Important also to note that George Hewitt will be out with back soreness. He's been an excellent addition this year, so we'll see what kind of impact his absence will have. Additionally, Mark Pittnett also needs another week before coming back from his PCL injury. I'm honestly more interested in this game from the GWS angle. Because, I mean, on Carlton's side, it's pretty simple. Need to win this one, need to get their momentum back in order, and put themselves in a good spot heading towards finals, as well as maybe, just maybe, still try to have an outside shot at cracking the top four if everything falls into place. But with the Giants, for example, I'm interested in, for example, how do they fill Josh Kelly's spot as he goes into concussion protocol? What are they going to look like defensively? Because... There were times last week when they just let the Lions get on a run and really showed no signs of resistance or doing anything to clog up any lane, anything of the sort. Well, clearly Mark McVeigh has said you got to be better because a whole lot of changes have been made for this one. We know Adam Kennedy and Brayden Pruce will be back in. Pruce in for Flynn. We'll see what else. Cameron Fleeton and Lecca Lear on the extended bench could make their debuts. We do know that Callum Brown is not just in the 22 or the 23, but he is in the 18 lined up at half forward. Looking forward to seeing another full game out of him because he's provided so much in his spurts of time in the main lineup. I'd like to see more of him. I made that perfectly clear after his four goal performance against Hawthorne. If you watched that game, you may remember the broadcasters loving just everything he did fundamentally, his kicking form, You name it. This is a guy who, he's one of those athletes who you put him on the field in any sport and he'll adapt very quickly. Clearly a quick learner and someone who's been taught the fundamentals well at the same time. Those broadcasters were talking about how some players have developed their own idiosyncratic styles. You know, maybe not as out there, not as unique as Ryan Myers, but Callum Brown has simple form. What do you expect out of an Australian rules football player? And it works. Carlton are favored by 24 and a half points. Hard to pinpoint the line on this one. It seems like it should be more of a question of by how many rather than who will win this. I'd say the result is in a bit more doubt in the middle game. The rematch of the Anzac clash between Collingwood and Essendon. Collingwood's had some nail biters as of late and Essendon has been in surprisingly good form. It's funny, this one doesn't have quite the same fanfare as Anzac Day, but from an actual football standpoint, this one's much more intriguing because of the Bombers' recent form. They come in at 6-11 in 14th on the ladder, but you've got to remember their three wins in a row came against two teams that are in the eight, and one that is still a contender, even though they're down in 12th now in Gold Coast. Meanwhile, Collingwood are right there with a real chance at a top-four spot, in fifth at 12 and 5, but they're going to have to earn the double chance by winning instead of by percentage. This one gets underway at 3.20 p.m. at the MCG. 
That means 1.20 a.m. on Sunday on the East Coast of the United States, 10.20 p.m. Saturday for those of us on the West Coast. If you're looking for this game live and you don't have the luxury of access to Fox footy or watch AFL, you're going to have to wait a bit. It will be reshown on Fox Soccer Plus at 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. When these teams met on Anzac Day, Collingwood won by 11. It was a fun game. One of the better showings by an Essendon team that was in pretty poor form at that point. Jack Ginnivan kicked five in that game, and that was really the day he made a name for himself. You know, It had been brewing in the prior weeks, but with the bleached hair, the five goals, he officially became a sensation. And he's been the talk of the footy world ever since. However, more interesting for us in the moment for Collingwood is what they'll look like this week because... Taylor Adams should be out of concussion protocols. Isaac Quinter should be good to go coming out of COVID protocols. Beyond that, Trent Bianco and Trey Rusco are logical to come out of the side. They've been the ones that have been. Ollie Henry was the unused medical sub last week. Was surprised to have him dropped out of the regular 22 in the first place, but maybe he'll end up kind of being the medical sub for a while. I know you've talked about his ability to kind of work as that lightning rod. His best performances this year have largely come in the fourth quarter, so if he's called upon then, I trust him to be able to do it again. For the Bombers, it looks like, despite corking his quad just a week earlier, Massimo D'Ambrosio played VFL, so he could be up for selection as well. Sounds like Kane Baldwin and Aaron Francis' returns will be this week, most likely through the VFL, and someone like Will Snelling can end up getting sent to the VFL because he has struggled at the top level this year. But even with all that turnover, all the injury stuff, Essendon's played very well lately. They've continued to pick off good teams three weeks in a row. This one against the Suns in the most convincing fashion out of any of those. And what really surprised me, they've played really well with Kyle Langford out there, but Langford himself was pretty quiet in that game against the Suns. I know that you hate talking about players being the glue, but is Lankford that sort of guy? He may very well be. Maybe instead of being the glue and holding things together, someone like him could be the oil that gets all the gears turning a bit better. Not to be confused with the oil that lit the temple for eight nights. Though it could be argued that it's as much of a miracle as that the Essendon have won the past three games. I would say that if they somehow managed to make finals out of this, that would be the real miracle. Though this is a season where 11 losses won't cut it. Collingwood are favored by five and a half. And that it's this low is not a knock on the pies. It's a testament to what Essendon have done lately. This is a matchup that coming into it has gotten me thinking a lot about play out of halfback. Essendon have done an exceptional job the past few rounds. Last week, it all came together. Mason Redmond back from protocols. Nick Hyde, Andrew McGrath healthy. And for Collingwood, you have the opposite side of their age range with Scott Pendlebury and Nick Dacos sharing the job back there. The question is, will the other players be there to complete the connections that either of those units is trying to start? Final game of the round will start right around when the Bombers and Pies hit halftime. It'll be 80 minutes later, so 4.40 p.m. in Eastern Australia, but... 2.40 p.m. in the West, where this game will be played as the Eagles host a St. Kilda team holding on for dear life at Optus Stadium. So if you're in the U.S., 2.40 a.m. Sunday on the East Coast, 
11.40 p.m. Saturday on the West Coast, and it looks like this will be another game televised on Fox Soccer Plus. The Saints are in a really interesting spot on the ladder where I really thought that they were done after losing last week. Their percentage is substantially down to 101.7, but the door has remained open thanks to that North win over Richmond. And if they can make up some percentage ground against the Eagles, they can put themselves right back into the top part of that next to crack the eight. They're currently in 10th at 9-8. and eight. Meanwhile, the Eagles are definitely contenders for the wooden spoon once again after that North win. They're in 17th with a 2-16 and 16 record. The Eagles and Saints played twice last year in round four at Marvel Stadium. St. Kilda trailed by 33 in the third quarter, then scored 54 of the final 55 points to win by 20. In round 19, the Eagles returned the favor, and though Max King kicked 6-1 for the game, the Eagles kicked 14-10 and won by 8. The Eagles' injury situation isn't looking great once again, with Nick Natanui out once again this week being the tip of everything. Further evaluation is coming there. He was sore last week, and it clearly seems like there was more than that. The ruck spot gets even thinner for the Eagles, with Callum Jamison exiting the side with a lingering groin issue. So the spotlight will squarely be on Bailey J. Williams there. Some tests for Connor West on his Achilles and maybe on his face after being punched by Nick Flawstone a couple weeks ago. Jack Petrocelli and Elliot Yo are both a week away from returning from their hamstring injuries. Now in terms of who may get in the side as a result, got a whole lot of options because there were a number of good performers in the waffle, including Isaiah Winder, who we haven't seen in a while, Josh Rotham, Patrick Nash, and the guy that I think should have been in from the very beginning for much of this year, if not all of it, Greg Clark. For the Saints, the bad news is Patty Ryder might be done for the year. We talked about that calf injury when we were recapping around 18, and remember how much of a mess the Saints have been when they aren't able to go with the two-ruck situation that opens up the other to play forward. I really like what Rowan Marshall's been able to do when he actually gets to play forward, but right now that seems like a difficult task considering that he's going to kind of be the lone wolf out there. Marshall has been one of those further downfield guys where if he gets a full possession, good things happen. Somebody else is going to need to step up in that regard before they target players inside 50. That's a place where a couple jacks could definitely emerge. Maybe Higgins, maybe Steele. Jack Steele has been somewhat quiet at times since his return from injury. Maybe that's where the captain can have more of an impact. Other than Ryder, as we said, the injury issue actually seems to be looking better for St. Kilda. Hunter Clark should be available. He broke his nose a couple of weeks ago, among some other things. You know, we've been very pro-Zach Jones on this show, but Brett Ratton was not the other day during his post-game discussion, so maybe that's a guy who could get omitted to make way somewhere else. I can see the Saints moving a lot of different guys into different roles in this game. I'm not sure how they plan on pulling it off, but I think they're going to look at this game as not only a chance to get back on track, but a chance to maybe establish some new guys who are on a hot streak heading into the final four-game stretch. I've got a weird feeling about this game. Maybe it's because it's in Perth. Maybe it's because the Saints have been a bit of a letdown for a lot of this year. I have a feeling that this game will be closer than what the spread has it at right now. 
that being St. Kilda being favored by 19 and a half. I'm not necessarily expecting an Eagles win, but I'm expecting more of a fight in some way, shape, or form. It may not necessarily be an aesthetically pleasing fight, but I expect a fight of some respect. And beyond setting up a pattern for the end of the season, if the Saints do really falter in this one and end up losing, at that point, their eyes may more and more be on things beyond this season. Though a possibility does definitely remain for them to, on pure win-loss record, it may look like they could have an ability to crack the eight still if they lose this one. But if they do lose it, they'd be awfully close to 100%. They're currently at 101.7. I really can't predict how this game is going to line up. You can tell me the Saints would roll. You can tell me West Coast is going to give them a lot of trouble and perhaps even win. I genuinely do not know what would happen in this scenario. St. Kilda has been one of those teams where you say, surprise me, and they do. The question is whether that's a good or bad surprise, and we'll learn that soon enough, and we'll have this whole round coming to us soon enough. It's starting because it's starting Friday, and by the time this is up, it'll probably be sometime on American Thursday, Australian Friday. So hopefully you'll be able to catch all of this before the round starts. If not, hopefully you enjoyed listening to our thoughts on a particular matchup or matchups which interest you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy, reacting in real time to the goings on of every game and commenting on other footy related stories whenever they come up. I am personally available at Castle Media. I am at Benjamin HK01. Ryan Harambe the Footy Cat is on Instagram at cat named Ryan. And you are? Well, we don't know y'all's details because that would be really creepy and imply some not great things about us. So don't think about that. Think about the footy. Enjoy round 19 and we'll be back here soon with our recap.